to the book of James, chapter 3. And today we have a convicting topic, but I hope an encouraging one, about our mouths and about our speech and our tongues. James is very concerned that Christians do not use their tongue to set ablaze those around them, burn loved ones, family members, fellow Christians. And gives a very strong warning here, uses imagery of deadly poison, a fire that consumes the world around it. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, the scripture declares, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of every reptile and sea creature, could be tamed and yet has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Let us now submit our tongues to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I can sum up this message in one sentence. My mouth bad, your mouth good. My words, Lord, are from a fleshly evil uh, starting point. Lord, that's why I need the word of the Lord. And I need a fresh, Lord, rejuvenation in my tongue from the Holy Spirit. And anything good, Lord, that I produce finds its source in the Holy Spirit's power and not my own. For on my own, Lord, I would set ablaze those around me. I would turn my tongue to fire and lash out and whip and burn those near me. Help us, Lord. Help us not to be this way. And let us not just beat ourselves up this morning for the things we have said and say. But Lord, let us go on to spiritual maturity and let us understand that it is what you say that is good. Lord, I don't have to come up with original thoughts. I have no need of them. What I have need of is the word of God. Clearly given, clearly communicated, Lord, placed in my heart and spoken that I may convict others unto repentance and encourage believers unto peace. I thank you, Lord Jesus, and I ask all this in your name. Amen. James gives such a strong warning about the tongue, about the things that we say and do to each other. In fact, I don't know about you, but I have been far less hurt physically the old children, uh, ch children's rhyme of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me did not prove true. I would like to go back to kindergarten and chastise someone for teaching me this lie <laughs> of childhood. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but the tongue, the words can destroy my soul. They can rob me of peace. They can make me feel an ungodly conviction of a man's standard instead of the God standard of a holy one making me feel less than, and I can't measure up, to another person's worldview and judgment instead of God's judgment. Because remember, God only requires one thing of me, one true thing, worship. And in to make worship possible, he's going to send his son to die for me. He's going to cause me to repent, to believe. He's drawn me to him. Jesus has been sent to get me, and Jesus will lose none that the Father has sent him to retrieve of his children. And bringing all of that to one final collective point, worship. Worship of God. That's what heaven is about. 
worship of God, being in the presence of God's holiness forever, and the joy that is produced by that holiness. I got to be at a celebration of life yesterday that truly was a celebration of the enjoyment of the presence of God. Even the so-called unprofessional speakers who spoke, I I felt were empowered by the Holy Spirit to encourage us yesterday, to encourage me of their joy of their friend who's now walking with the Lord. See, this is what we need to say to each other. The Scripture, the Word of God, why are we working so hard to come up with good thoughts and sentences? We're not going to. We're not able to. I am no way on my own able to conjure up anything good for anybody else. In fact, I would do far better if I so memorized Scripture, I could have full conversations of Scripture quotes. And I'm not saying, all right, go home and do that, everyone, but it would be a good thing for me to practice. Where instead, when someone comes to me and goes, I'm just really worried about this big test or this job promotion, instead of going, well, let me tell you, here's what I would do. Instead, say, quote Matthew 5 and say, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is sufficient for its own trouble. Right? That's what I should do. James is very concerned. Look what he, the imagery he uses in verse 5. The, it's a, it is a forest set ablaze by such a great fire. Now, way before uh, Smokey the Bear, James is saying that one match can burn down the forest. Right? And that tongue can light that match. This is the imagery that I thought of, possibly I would have used. Imagine if, for some weird illustration, I had a can of gasoline up here on stage with me, and I started just to pour it out, the gasoline, onto the carpet, right? And just pouring it all over, pouring it over myself, over the altar, and it's spilling down, it's on the tithe money, it's falling, the gasoline's leaking onto the floor. And then I stand here, and I take out a match, and a matchbook, and I strike it. Now, the fumes alone would probably ignite just on the striking. But let's say it didn't. Let's say the match was just there burning, burning down, getting closer and closer to my gasoline-soaked hand. This is the human tongue. Sin has spread the gasoline of unholiness all around your life, and the tongue is a match ready to set it ablaze, ready to burn our loved ones, ready to hurt those around us so deeply It's a small fire, but it sets the entire forest ablaze. Well, it's a small tongue, but it can set your entire life ablaze. It's a world of unrighteousness, James says. A world of unrighteousness. It is a small member, but it's straining the whole body. It's setting on fire the entire life, set on fire by hell. So this is hell fire that is contained within the tongue. Church, the reason James is so concerned and the reason that we should be is it's not something to trifle with. Any more than the rattlesnake should be so carelessly picked up and tossed away without a thought of it harming you. No, the tongue is the same way. It's full of a deadly poison. It's ready to strike like a snake. But instead, we walk around so carelessly ready to say whatever. In fact, the Lord has convicted me this week about this text, and I mean the best kind of conviction because, Lord, I need to change future behaviors ahead of time, so I can more glorify you. That's the best conviction. And this was my conviction. I have no need to speak negatively in my life. Ever. Ever. Even the calling out of sin and the calling of a sinner to repentance is a positive of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no need to be negative ever. 
And that's a convicting thought for me because it's so easy to be negative. In fact, there's many times I feel justified in being negative. Right? Remember the old saying, how much easier is it to tear down than build up? How much easier is it to be negative, to say mean and horrible and nasty things instead of speaking encouragement and love? The tongue is a world of fire. Mankind can tame other things, but it cannot tame the tongue. Well, let's stick with our first point for now, the idea of the tongue burning. So if you take notes, this is point number one, the burning of the human tongue. If you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 16. While you're turning there, I'll just go on a little bit from my notes. How much has been burned by evil words? How often have you been hurt by the evil words that have been said to you? How often have you said evil words and the fire that they were even burns you, the speaker? See, in a fire, no one gets out untouched. The cause of the fire, the spark, is itself consumed in the destruction. How many relationships, families, ministries, even churches have been burned to the ground by the fiery tongue? Church, this is why we must be so careful that our words do not become the match that burns those around us and consumes us as well. Proverbs 16, we're going to be in verse 25. Scripture declares in verse 25, there is a way that seems right to man, and oh boy, we all know what it is. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The plans and ideas and great great aspirations of human beings is death. That's where we're going to end up. There's no way to avoid it. Verse 26, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. It's kind of that picture, the silly picture of the angel and the devil on, on the shoulders, right? And even that's a picture of, it's not my responsibility. It was the devil on my shoulder who told me to do it, right? But that's not it. It's, it's you in flesh versus God and the Holy Spirit. Your flesh warring against the power of the Holy Spirit. And it wants, your mouth is urging you on when you have the opportunity to whip somebody with that tongue and tear them down and your flesh is going, yes, do it. Do it. Burn them to the ground. I'm going to feel so good later about what I said. It's so easy, especially in church ministry. It's so easy to tear people down with the tongue. Whip people for not being right or not doing right. But Jesus never did. In fact, even his forming of a physical whip, I believe, was an attempt to drive the sinners out of the temple lest they be destroyed by the fire of God. And if that's your heart's attempt today, then I would say go on. Say what needs to be said. Remember to do it in love, as Ephesians says. But Jesus never, never, comes in in any place in the New Testament and gives a negative speech, uh, the woman caught in adultery. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. But so often, we human beings, we go, yeah, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. We're like the Pharisee next to the sinner. And the Pharisee's praying and says, thank you, Lord, I'm not like this terrible sinner over here. And the sinner's on his hands and knees, his face to the ground, saying, Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Jesus always calls for the gospel. He calls for the life-giving bread of himself 
the, his blood that is the wine. He calls for repentance to this truth. He never once lashes somebody with his tongue and then leaves them there. The woman at the well, he could have left her with, yeah, you got a bunch of husbands, I know about you. And then left, and left her feeling horrible. But he doesn't, he goes on, he says, you need a wellspring tapped in your heart, my daughter. A wellspring of life. See, there may be a time when you have to be harsh. There may be a time when you have to be like the prophets of old and say harsh, critical things to the people. But it's not over. Your job is not done until you give the true gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the thing I criticize other preachers for the most. In fact, that's the only thing I should ever criticize for. And I'm not even talking about delivery or how engaging they were as a speaker. Did you tell them to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and Him alone? Because if you never found your way to that, you weren't really preaching. Ed Lacey, wonderful Bible teacher, told me one time, he said, when preaching, my boy, you hit the ground running and you make a straight line toward the cross of Christ and you don't stop till you get there. Verse 27, Proverbs 16, a worthless man plots evil in his speech is like a scorching fire. Not only is this destructive, not only is this an evil, Proverbs calls it worthless. Helps no one. Doesn't help you, the speaker. Verse 28, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. We know this in our culture today as gossip. Probably the easiest sin that we all fall into. Because even in, a, in a, a real godly attempt to try to help somebody and hear the story of what's going on so that you may help, even that is so easily perverted to gossip. And we all do it. The, the stereotype is old ladies on a porch, but we all do it. The whispering separates close friends. The evil tongue leads only, only to failed relationships, evil actions, fires that burn and consume others, and finally death. The tongue is a burning fire. Point number two, you cannot tame this burning fire. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. The tongue cannot be tamed by rules or laws. Behavior modification has never worked, does not work. No matter how much you attempt it, it will never truly work. Now, you may get people to do right on the outside. You know, I could get a kid in off the street on a Wednesday night to sit down and behave himself and close his eyes during prayer and stand up during the singing. He maybe even sing along to the songs, pay attention while I'm preaching. But that, that's all on the outside. And if I'm able to do it, and I don't need God's help to do it, then what am I really accomplishing? Very little. In fact, less than little, I would say. Behavior modification, the world has been trying this the past hundred years. We have many different systems for how to do it. Even political systems come down to modifying human behavior. Because at a certain primal instinct, most humans are driven by a couple of things, including hunger. In the political world, it's an attempt to modify that. We want you to behave yourself. We want you to act right. And it's so culturally determined that as soon as you go to a different culture, it's going to be entirely different. You're going to have to start over all over again. That's why it doesn't work. That's why Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 are the truth that we need for the untamed tongue. You probably know this one by heart in verse 5. Trust in the Lord 
with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. See, this verse is so free because God just gave me, just gave me the freedom to say, I don't know, and that's okay. Our culture and our world with all of our technology and the devices and the phones, we're expected to have the answer and the right answer right away every time. You can say, I don't know. I don't have the understanding. I don't have the right ideas. I'm a human being forged in sin. And only with the presence of God can I do right. Do not lean on your own understanding because my understanding is right and good for me. And it's a standard I hold myself to. And as soon as somebody doesn't measure up to my standard, I feel like the righteous king on the throne, off with their head. I think about the power kings used to have in the world. I mean, literally, the king could say, off with their head, and the person will be dragged away and executed. See, that's an attempt to have God-like power. Only God can truly speak and things happen. But our flesh falls into this. The flesh, in its attempt to be like God, wants that God-given ability. That's why being the boss and being in charge is so invigorating. It's like an adrenaline shot to the flesh because the boss speaks and things happen. It's the flesh's attempt to be like God. Did our boss do that? Did God do that to us? He sent his son to shed his blood for you and I. Instead of waiting up in the throne in heaven and waiting for us to get better on our own, God in his ultimate plan and wisdom had planned before the foundation of the world, my son will go and my son will die. My son will live again and he will bring our people home by his sacrifice. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. There's a phrase that is very good for the Christian to learn and use. And we use it constantly here at Joppa. It's built into our culture. It's three words long. Praise the Lord. Now there's a lot in that little statement. Praise being the affirmation of God's power and presence. The worship of his divine nature. The, right, where is all this directed to? So we have to use our adjective here, our definite article, to understand where our praise is being directed to. I don't praise the man or woman or person or pastor. I praise who? The Lord. And why Lord? Why not praise the God? That doesn't sound right English to start with, but why not? Because Lord is that specific title. He is my Lord. He rules and reigns over me. And unlike a wicked Lord who would use me for his own gain, my Lord sacrificed his own life so that I could be set free. Praise the Lord. When your heart and soul and mind come out of your tongue as praise the Lord, then your paths will be straight. And your path may be filled with terrible suffering and trial. But if it's about the Lord and directed toward his worship, then it's the right path for you. Church, we cannot trust in our own understanding of how to say the right thing. Because my flesh will never seek the right thing. We will only end up back at the evil that we're so good at and we started out with. We must trust the word of the Lord and find the straight and righteous path. The word of the Lord. 
the word that he has given and preserved for you. The word that we have now almost in every language. In our language, we have multiple, multiple translations and versions, getting at every possible meaning of the English. And remember, it's our language that has the trouble, not God. English is the terrible language that's hard to understand and translate into. But this is it. And you have this. It's been given. And we don't have to memorize because they'll come and take it away. We're still free to open this publicly. And there may, that trial may come, and I don't know. But while we have the freedom, let's enjoy that this is the straight path. This has the right answers. In fact, it's the most spiritual thing I can say from this pulpit as a pastor. Read your Bible. Know your Lord. So that's our second point. The untamed tongue cannot be tamed by behavior modification, by rules and laws, only by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the guiding of the Scripture that God has given. But God hasn't left us there, and neither should we. If you would, turn to John chapter 6, and our third and final point today, the words of life. In context, Jesus has just said some hard things to the group of people following him. In fact, the discussion of eating his body and drinking his blood, frankly, freaked some people out, and they left. Now, we should not use the numerical reference here, John 6, verse 66, as some kind of reference to the devil or evil, as this is the verse when the disciples turned back and no longer followed him, because John, when it was written by the apostle, did not have chapters or verses in it. Probably written as a scroll, and you wouldn't have the ability to put numbers in there in a scroll format. But yet, beside all that, they turned and they followed him no longer, Verse 67, Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Would you also turn from the word of the Lord? Would you walk away from the Savior when the road gets hard? When the trials come, when persecution comes, when the fire is set ablaze around you by someone else? Would you so easily give up following Jesus Christ? In verse 68, Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter, in his un, unsafe state, without the presence of the Holy Spirit, recognizes that there's nowhere else to go. This man has heard his own Judaism. He's heard pagan religions. He's heard these other things coming in from the, around the Sea of the Mediterranean there. And he knows, beyond the shadow of a doubt, where else should I go? There's nowhere else for me to go. You have the words of life. You have what I need. And Peter's going to struggle. He's going to sink in the water. He's going to flee the night Jesus is taken. But here he has it right. You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There is no one else. There is no other Savior, no other message, no other words that heal, that save, that give eternal life. These are the words of life that we need. So with that, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. This is what we now must do with the words of life given to you and I. Ephesians 4, 29. Paul is encouraging the church in Ephesus about their ministry to the world. 
It would have been very easy for them at the time, especially with the evil paganism that was coming into that city, to speak some evil, corrupting words in response. But Paul says, do not. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There's so much in this verse. Let's go back. Let no corrupting talk. Because the evil gossip and evil words about somebody else not only corrupts them and other people's perception of them, but it corrupts you. I mean, do you want to be around the negative person always gossiping and saying nasty things about other people? Well, if you're saying that, people aren't going to want to be around you. These relationships have now been corrupted. This corrupting talk has now stopped your ability to disciple. Corrupting talk destroys your ministry. Destroys your ministry. And you're going to have to put up with sometimes other Christians declaring that you are okay with sin because you don't get harsher on it sometimes. You're going to have to be okay with that. You're going to have to understand in your own balance and walk with the Holy Spirit that when I call people to repentance, I don't have to specifically call out every single sin they've ever even done. You don't even know all that they've done. You call them to Christ. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. In fact, church, I believe that we can get so about rooting out people's sins that it's simply a corruption of the flesh at that point. Instead, we should simply repent and move on to the glories of Christ let none of this come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. What's the purpose here? The purpose is Christ building his church. He's given us a ministry in Corinthians of reconciliation. He's entrusted to us the message of the gospel. God has allowed these vessels of clay and these dirty, broken pots to bring the message of his words of eternal life. That's our job. What a, what a job to be given by the Father. And we use it to build up God, building his church, we building up those around us, edifying believers as God sees fit, as fits the occasion. As fits the occasion. How, how, how destructive is the modern world where we don't have seasons or occasions anymore? I mean, even the secular world is starting to remove all sorts of holidays and things. But I mean, even us, right? I mean, how, how, how little of a worry is summer when we have our ACs? How little of a worry is the harvest when I'm not out needing to harvest anything? As fits the occasion. What's the occasion of your life and those around you that you can build up? And are you looking for that occasion? How many divine appointments have been in that Walmart checkout line, right? I know everybody's been complaining about the fact you've got to scan your own food now, right? But do you know how many times I have sat with somebody and been like, oh man, Lord's going to have to help me with this machine because it won't scan it. <laughs> There's no beep. I get to engage with people and talk with them. Instead of viewing things as a negative or something's different, view it as a positive. This could be an occasion that I get to build up. That it may go on, that it may give grace to those who hear. And we so want to give grace because where does grace come from? The mouth of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ gives grace. What did he tell Paul when Paul asked him to take this thorn away? Three times I pleaded with the Lord, he said. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Your struggle 
on this earth will last until I bring you off. But my grace is sufficient for you. See, grace covers us when we tear things down. Grace covers us when we don't build up correctly. Grace brings us to the very presence of the power of God. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And that word grieve there is literally the picture of the child who has known the rules, heard it once again, and disobeys again. And it's the parent, that brief moment where you just collect yourself, set, steady yourself, and then correct and discipline. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And believers, you will not grieve him forever. You will not do this for all eternity. In fact, I don't believe the Holy Spirit lets it go on very long at all, as it fits the occasion. But do not grieve the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, I don't have heaven insurance where now I can just go do what I want. And too bad, God, I believe in eternal security. <laughs> I'm in no matter what. That's evidence of, of being lost. True believers, out of love and respect for the Father who adopted, have no true desire to stay in sin. No desire to continue to grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, we should all be like David. David who sinned so, so grievously with Bathsheba, but when confronted by the presence of God, fell to his face in repentance. Go back and read Psalm 51. A wonderful prayer of repentance before the living God. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Because these things don't produce righteousness. Especially bitterness. Because bitterness is that slow burn. Sometimes even anger is easier to get over. You get mad with somebody, even your spouse... Say, say sorry, say sorry, you get over it. That bitterness that just slowly builds, like that just turn in the pressure cooker up, and it's just building in you and building in you. We're talking about something worse than being angry at somebody. I'm talking about, I don't even care about that person anymore. The bitterness has grown in me so much, I don't even care. Right? Imagine if God did this to you. Every time you sin, he just was like, you know what, I'm getting tired of this. I keep telling you to stop. You don't stop. I'm done. But he doesn't. Because no bitterness grows within him. He's able to keep loving unconditionally and forgiving no matter how much sin is committed because there's no bitterness within him. And if there's no bitterness in me, how much more will I love those around me? Put it away from you. The phrase put away from you, that's hard. How do I just stop being bitter? Well, I don't know if you just can stop. It's kind of like a smoking habit. It's got to be a different kind of habit. Put it away from you. Start practicing that every day. Lord, today I'm not going to get bitter about that. If I just can't think about it, then that's a, that's a good start. Verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Be kind. I've had that interaction sometimes in public, where somebody was just really mean and nasty to me. And I was so just like shocked at the moment, I didn't do anything. Wasn't even like angry. I just was like, oh man, I wonder what's wrong with them. <laughs> and then our inter interaction ended, thankfully. And I was just like, what, what happened? And then um, in, my, in my flesh, I'm going, why can't you just say a nice thing? Why can't you just be nice or be kind? But then I remember that that's me too. I have those same moments where I can just pop off. Instead, I should be kind. Tender-hearted. 
It's often said that, that, that in church ministry, and I don't just mean pastors, I mean every Christian, that if we have thick hearts and soft skin, we're not going to do very well. Because every little thing is going to pierce our soft skin and hurt our feelings, make us upset. Our hearts almost stony with not being able to connect with anybody or reach anybody. Instead, it's said that we should have thick skin. Let the, let the stuff bounce off you and be tender-hearted, a heart that is open to others and ready to love and forgive. Forgiving one another. You know how many times the Bible tells us to forgive each other and the Bible gives no prerequisite for that forgiveness? Notice it does not say forgiving one another when they're really, really sorry. Forgiving one another when they've reached the sorrow that you feel is appropriate. <laughs> Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ask yourself, do you think you were sorry enough for God to forgive you? Do you think God looked down and you went, well, I guess that's good enough? He did not. He did not. He forgave you unconditionally and eternally. And that's the forgiveness that we should have for each other. Believers are not to speak unwholesome words. This is from uh, Harold Honer in his commentary. One's words are to be true and pure and to contribute to benefiting others. Besides your conscience, the Holy Spirit also will guard your speech. That the fact that the Holy Spirit may be grieved points to his personality as a real person of the Trinity. His seal of a believer remains until the day of redemption. And we receive that new body. And how glorious will that new body be? Because that tongue's not going to be full of deadly poison. That mouth isn't going to be predisposed to evil. In fact, the new heavenly body, which has only existed in heaven with God, untouched by the sin of the earth. When God gives it to you and you stand before him, that's why there's no tears in heaven, because no one is saying anything to cause tears. Let's go to one final place, and we're going to finish up here. John chapter 16, verse 22. John 16, 22. The tongue is a world of fire, full of deadly poison, ready to hurt, kill, and destroy. The human heart, unguided by the Holy Spirit, will follow that tongue to whatever evil it leads. But the one who has repented and believed the one who has been filled with the grace of God and has been forgiven and so forgives others. Church, I want you to be comforted by these words of Jesus Christ. Because you're going to have moments where this is hard. It's hard to put away bitterness. It's hard not to be angry sometimes. So take comfort now in the words of Jesus. And after I read this verse, I'm going to pray, and I'm not going to preach anymore because I'm going to leave us on the words of our Savior. Eternal words. Listen closely. John 16, 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these words. Lord, that I could turn to them in times of trouble. I could turn to them in times of my need. Lord, help me when I've been angry, when my tongue is lashed out like a rattlesnake, full of deadly poison. Forgive me, Lord, for those moments and continue to d d discipline me, call me back to being a true son 
And Lord, I thank you for the grace that you've put, even over this evil time. Because every time it makes a mistake, every time it's going to make the mistake in the future, your forgiveness is not conditional on my actions. Lord, your forgiveness is eternal, rooted in your own eternal nature. Lord, I'm so thankful that mercies are renewed every morning. For I go through the darkness of my flesh through the night. But in the morning, when the sun rises and the light shines once again upon the earth, I hear the word of God fresh from the scriptures. I forgive you. My grace is sufficient for you. Here's how you should pray. Here's how you should not worry. Let bitterness and wrath be put away. And worship, worship me, my son. Church, let us continue to grow. Let us continue to be a place where people can come in and hear encouraging words, hear words of life straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ, the Savior. And Lord, if there be moments where I have let that tongue set ablaze, Lord, send that water once again to quench down that fire Convict this evil tongue, Lord, of its actions and cause it to speak repentance and the desire for forgiveness, the forgiveness you already hold ready. Lord, I thank you so much. And Lord, in one final prayer, and I pray this for every single person in here, not just myself. Lord, help us to remember this simple phrase, less of my words, more of yours. Less of my speech, more of Scripture. Less of my thoughts, more words of God. We thank you, Lord. And all God's people say, Amen.